thanks, Tim. Thanks, Stacy. And Stacy, thanks again for praying for all of us. And I just echo all of those words. And I'm really excited to get into the words of God himself. We're going to be looking today at the last chapter of Mark, the final chapter of his entire gospel. Uh, and so I would encourage you right now to actually get your own Bible and follow along with me because we're, we're going to get into some things. So if you have your Bible on you or if you have a phone app, great. If you need to pause the video real quick and go grab a Bible and come back and then resume, that's fine. But we're in Mark chapter 16, and I'm going to be reading the entire chapter, uh, the last chapter of Mark, Mark 16 in its entirety. So you with me? All right, here we go. Mark 16. Saturday evening, when the Sabbath ended, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome went out and purchased burial spices so they could anoint Jesus' body. Very early on Sunday morning, just at sunrise, they went to the tomb. And on the way, they were asking each other, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? But as they arrived, they looked up and saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled aside. And when they entered the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a white robe sitting on the right side. The women were shocked. But the angel said, don't be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Look, this is where they laid his body. Now go and tell his disciples, including Peter, that Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there, just as he told you before he died. And the women fled from the tomb, trembling and bewildered, and they said nothing to anyone, because they were too frightened. The end. Now, if you've got your own Bible, maybe that doesn't look like that's supposed to be the end. And in fact, that is the shocking thing in the series that we call Shook. Uh, the shocking thing that Jesus did today was that he ended his story on that note in verse 8. He ended with these words, The women fled from the tomb, trembling and bewildered, and they said nothing to anyone because they were too frightened. Now, depending on what Bible version you have or what your app is showing, your Mark chapter 16 might keep going. And so this is a moment for me to, to teach you something if you didn't already know. And it's important for us as Christians who are readers and followers of the word of God, both in the person of Jesus Christ and in this Bible that has been passed down to us. It's important that we understand what we have and why we have what we have so that we can be confident in these words that give us hope and faith. So if you didn't know, let me make sure to tell you this that the Bible is the most reliable, widely attested ancient document of all time. There is no other ancient work that even comes close. You think about something like the Odyssey or the Iliad, these ancient works, they, they maybe have a handful of, of ancient and original manuscripts uh, that, we, that we reference to know what those texts originally said. The Bible has hundreds and hundreds of ancient manuscripts so that we can be incredibly confident that the Bible you and I are reading right here now today is uh, in essence the same as it was when it was written 2,000 and more years ago. Because what happens when you have a lot of different documents and they were all over the world as the, as the good news of, of Jesus Christ spread throughout the world, the, the manuscripts spread with it. And so we can compare manuscripts that are from completely different regions and slightly different eras, and we can see and track what changes happened, if, uh, if any, and, and we can actually pay attention to how things were recorded and, and passed down. And so we can look at the words we have now, and we can see the journey of how they got here, and we can be so confident in what we have. 
And what you do with that is you, you actually look for textual variants. And so you'll, you'll find a, an ancient New Testament that was found in Russia somewhere, and you'll compare it with the Dead Sea Scrolls that were found uh, in, in caves in Israel, and you'll look at these things, and you'll, and you'll compare how they look different or how they are, in essence, actually the same. And what you'll find, and if you didn't know this, is there are textual variants. And in fact, there are hundreds of textual variants uh, in the, the most ancient of manuscripts. But when I say hundreds, there are one or two words, or maybe a sentence that's been misplaced. You know, where, um, you know, in one uh, you know, uh, version it says, Jesus says to the, uh, Peter, get thee behind me, Satan. But another version from hundreds of miles away will say, uh, get away from me, Satan. Same story, same thing. One or two words are different. And the bulk, 99.99% of the textual variants are this level of, of, of minorness. Uh, you, and you can just picture for a lot of them uh, that an ancient monk was transcribing uh, his copies of the Bible, making a new copy. And, uh, and maybe he was dozing a little bit or feeling a little sleepy and he left off the end of a sentence before he moved on to the next line. Uh, or maybe you'll see moments where, um, where they'll write a sentence twice and you can just tell that they lost their place in, in, the, in the manuscript and they wrote the same line a second time. And again, none of these things need to change any of the sense or any of, our, of the reliability of the Bible because you can look at it, you can see exactly what happened, and you can have confidence that this is essentially the, the same text that we've had. You can just see the couple of places where it got wrong. There are really only two exceptions two significant textual variants that are not in the most ancient original manuscripts, and they're about 12 verses each. And we happen to get to one of them today. See, we've known, in fact, Christians have known for 1,600 years. It goes all the way back to Eusebius and St. Jerome. They knew in the mid-300s, the 4th century, that the last 12 verses of Mark were not there originally. And so we don't have to be deceived or worried or frightened that this is something weird or, you know, some people like to go all Da Vinci Code on this that, uh, oh, you, you, can't, you can't trust the Bible. We've actually known this about this part of Scripture uh, almost since the beginning. And you can understand, um, well, we'll get there in a second, but just to know that we know full well that in the most original, and we've known since 300 AD, that the most original manuscripts of Mark end with verse 8. They end with this line. The women fled from the tomb, trembling and bewildered, and they said nothing to anyone because they were too frightened. Not the joyful Easter message we're used to, is it? There's no, he is risen, he is risen indeed, hallelujah, at the end of the original ending of Mark's gospel. So what's going on? How do we make sense of, of uh, the good news of Jesus, this story that ends on such a somber and... Um, and hopeless seeming note. So there's two ways to understand it, ways that, again, scholars for 1,600 years have been grappling with this section. Uh, it's, uh, the Gospel of Mark either ends this way because it's an accident or because it was on purpose. Those are our two choices. So let's look at both of those. If it was an accident, which a lot of people do tend to think, it just simply means that when they wrote the original Gospel, somewhere along the line, they lost the last page or two. Right? They, they, they made a little booklet out of all of the Gospels uh, and, of, and out of Mark, and, and somewhere it just got ripped off. It got burned, maybe damaged, uh, and we just we lost those original verses, and, and they just don't know what happened to them. Or maybe even some speculate that Mark died in the middle of the Gospel. You know, like he was, he was kind of writing down furiously all the things that happened to Jesus, and he got through verse 8 and then just killed over dead. And, and we have no idea how he was ever going to finish the Gospel. But, but in this view, there was a different ending intended— we just don't have access to it. 
Uh, that's where a lot of people uh, tend to land on this issue. I actually tend to lean the other way. I think that this was an intentional ending. It was a literary choice made by Mark. And that there was something he was specifically trying to accomplish in the hearts and minds and ears of his listeners by ending the gospel this way. But here's the thing. It actually doesn't matter that much whether it was an accident or whether Mark intended it. Uh, because regardless of either of those questions, we fall back to the omniscience and the omnipotence of our God. Our God is all-knowing and all-powerful enough that he has the power to make sure that we have access to the Bible in the way that he wanted us to have access to it. In fact, I credit God that no other uh, ancient sources is so widely attested as the Bible because God knew how important it was that we get his word right. That's why uh, he made sure and he saw to it that we have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of ancient manuscripts that we can compare so that we can trust his word, which means that this ending we have of Mark, this good news, the story of the good news of Jesus that ends with verse 8 is exactly what God wanted us to have because if he wanted something different, he could have made that happen. And so if this is what God wanted us to have, if this is the ending we're supposed to be grappling with, if this is the thing that's supposed to shake us up, what is God's intent for this passage? Here's what I believe. This ending of the Gospel of Mark, this eight verses that ends with these women who are afraid and frightened, this is in fact the best gospel for us to be reading right here now in this troubling time of corona and quarantine. See, here's why I've come to prefer this ending of Mark over the half-hearted fairy tale ending that someone else added later. You see, God does not promise us a fairy tale, saccharine, happy ending in this life. What he promises us instead is a redeemed ending. And this is critical. Because here is the truth from God. Nice and neat endings all wrapped up and tied up in a nice little bow, those don't actually respond or spark change and growth and transformation in us. And I've seen this play out in American church circles, and you maybe have too. When, when you hear uh, over and over from church, when you go to church week after week, and all you hear every week is, yeah, maybe you're a sinner. Yeah, there's stuff that's, that's wrong with you. But guess what? Good news. Jesus died for you. You're going to heaven. And that's the end of the story. What it all too often allows us to do is pat ourselves on the back to feel really good about that nice fairy tale ending that we just heard and then go back to living exactly the same way that we were living before we ever went into church. Our God of redemption and transformation does not want you and I to keep living the same way we were living before. He wants us to grow and change. He wants something new for us. He wants something better for us. He doesn't want us to settle for a happy ending. He wants us to have a redeemed ending instead. Think about those women when they went to the tomb that day 2,000 years ago. Their happy ending had been destroyed. They had followed Jesus. Their sons had followed Jesus. They had put their hope and trust in him. They believed that he was the savior of the world and they fully expected him to, to have some sort of victorious conquering of all that was wrong with the world. And instead, he was put to death and buried in a tomb. Their happy ending came crashing down around them. And yet, in the midst of this, an angel showed up in the tomb and he promised these women a redeemed ending instead. 
that even though the happy ending they were looking for was no longer there, that they, their life would now be forever changed. Because Christ, who accomplished victory over death, also meant that he would have victory over the hardships, the sufferings, the fear of this world. You see, here's the thing. A happy ending can be taken away from us in a heartbeat by cancer or unemployment, divorce, or a virus that sweeps the whole world. But a redeemed ending can use even the most tragic sufferings to actually make our ending be fuller and richer than it was before. I'll share with you right now. The coronavirus has exposed something that I had to face inside of myself. You see, the comforts and the relative wealth of our society had lulled me in to a happy ending mindset. It had become too easy for me to live in trust and hope because of the wealth and the comforts of our society, instead of living in trust and hope of a God who promises to provide for us, to protect us. You see, social distancing, quarantining, it's completely disrupted all of the things that I used to take for granted in my life. Just even doing church the way I'm used to doing it is, is, is gone away. And so many of the things that I used to have is my backstop where I, I didn't worry too much because I just knew that the parts of the fabric of our society would be there to hold me up. That had to get taken away. I had to face the lie that what I'm striving for in this life is happiness is my highest good, comfort that is under my own control. And I've had to face that, in fact, my own happiness, my own comfort is not under my control. Just like these women at the tomb who had their happy ending wrenched away, you and I, we've had uh, some of the the comforting uh, illusions of our society ripped away from us as a result of this quarantine. And yet in this moment, we are now put in the exact same position as these women at the tomb. Do we wail and mourn and live in fear because our happy ending, this thing that we've counted on, has been taken away from us? Or do we let the resurrection of Jesus Christ change where we put our hope and trust? Do we let the messiness of life not make us grieve the happy ending we've lost, but make us look forward with anticipation and joy to the redemption that God promises to bring in my life and yours? This is the picture that the ending of Mark paints today. That it's not all rainbows and kittens, but it is all redeemed. Here's how I believe the early first century listeners and readers of Mark's gospel would have understood this ending. As they heard these last eight verses of Mark 16, this is the message they would have gotten loud and clear from the angel. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And now the first witnesses to that resurrection were too scared to say anything to anybody. So what are you going to do about it? See, those early listeners they were going through a lot of hard times themselves. They were prone to fear and worry as they were a persecuted minority of people. And that ending of Mark would have spurred them to action. That unlike those women that were recoiling in fear, they were not going to not say nothing to anybody, but they were going to proudly, bravely, confidently proclaim this good news to the world. And that's exactly what they did. 
And that's why 2,000 years later, you and I are able to read this story with the downer ending and all. And it hopefully speaks to us. It sure speaks to me this week, the way I think it might have spoken to them. See, here's how I think the ending of Mark should read for us here and now today. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And yet people around us live in fear. They're scared of germs, of death, of our outdated healthcare systems, of economic recessions and unemployment, of a loss of normal for themselves and for their children. So what are you going to do about it? We no longer have the luxury here in the United States of pretending that we live in a charmed life with happy endings and pleasant comfortability for all. And so are we going to live in fear of this new normal? Or are we going to let this ending of the story of Jesus in Mark spur us to action? See, the tension between a fallen world and a redemptive story is right here, right now, all around us. And I'm trying to focus, and I pray that you are too, and that you can use this for others, that we focus on a God who doesn't promise us simple, cheesy, fairy tale happy endings. He promises that he will take the worst things that could happen to us, and he will redeem not only his story through Christ Jesus, but the story that we have because of Christ Jesus as well. Amen. Would you please pray with me? Lord God, I thank you that you don't give us simple uh, promises, truths and stories that can't hold up to to the fallenness of the real world. But Lord, that you've promised that you are bigger than the worst things that can happen to us. That you can take any negative thing, any crisis, any struggle, any fear, even death itself, and redeem it to bring us a story that ends in eternal life. Lord, we give you thanks for this good news, and we pray that you would spur us on to share this hope that we have with the world. Amen.